everyone. Welcome back to Web3 Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Wolfson. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Perianne Boring. She is the CEO and founder of the Chamber of Digital Commerce. In this episode, we'll be speaking all about regulations in the United States and how the Web3 space may look moving forward in terms of regulatory clarity. Before getting started with the interview, I also want to let you guys know to please take the time to like the content that you're seeing today and to subscribe to my channel. Your support means everything, so I would really appreciate it if you would just take a few minutes to do that. I also want to thank Edge & Node and the House of Web3 for letting me film today's podcast at this beautiful studio here in San Francisco. Without further ado, let's get started with today's interview. Hey, Perianne, how's it going? Hey, Rachel, good to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for joining the podcast. I'm so excited to finally have you on the show. I know, I was excited for my uh, my debut. It's been a long time coming. I know. So, Perianne, before we get started with today's interview, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you're doing at the Chamber of Digital Commerce. Yeah, well, I've been in the crypto space um, since very early days. Um, I first learned about Bitcoin in 2011 when I was working on Capitol Hill. Um, my background is in public policy. I've spent all of my career working in D.C. on on, on public policy. I also work as a journalist uh, for a short amount of time as well. So my interest in cryptocurrencies really came from an economic policy perspective. I was working as uh, an aide on Capitol Hill and really advocating for a more sound money. You know, I went to DC after the financial crisis and, and really felt like there were some systemic issues in our financial and our economic system. And I wanted to fight for something better. Uh, the economic crisis really impacted my community. I'm a uh, native Floridian and everybody I knew was impacted by, you know, what was going on in the economy. And when I was in school, I really wanted to, you know, as, since I was studying economics, like, well, what's happening in the economy in real time? And it was just so insane to me that really none of our economic PhD professors could really like actually explain what was happening real world in the economy. Mm -hmm. So I kind of went on my own independent study and I learned about how money works. I learned about the gold standard fiat money inflation what it is, how it impacts people, how it impacts us. Learned about how the banking system works, how it's regulated, although I'm still learning about all these things every day. But there are a lot of things that I just didn't feel like represented my values as an American. It's like, how could we have gotten to, you know, the situation mm -hmm. with the financial crisis? So I went to DC to fight for something better. And that's really what I've been doing ever since. And I learned about Bitcoin on that journey. And I felt that uh, Bitcoin was a technical solution to so many of the things that I was advocating for working in public policy. So that's how I, how I got in it. We launched the Chamber of Digital Commerce in 2014. We were the first trade association in the country to advocate for the, the Bitcoin and the blockchain community. Although the word blockchain was not used back then. Um, you had Bitcoin with a big B to represent the protocol and Bitcoin with a lowercase B to represent the currency. And there were you know, many people that talked about how the, the protocol, the blockchain 
many different types of applications would be uh, built uh, a, a, would be built out of this beyond just uh, just Bitcoin as a currency, and that's really what the Web three community is. It was all inspired by 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 all of that in the early days, and I felt like it was incredibly important for this decentralized technology that doesn't have a CEO, that doesn't have a public policy shop, to have a voice in DC, uh, to make sure that we would have the the chance for this technology to to grow and thrive in the United States. So that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's uh, We're celebrating our 10-year anniversary this year. Uh, we're turning 10 this summer. And we're in the fight of our lives, Rachel. It's insane. <laughs> when we first started, most people just kind of thought we were crazy, had no idea what we were talking about. Now, now everybody knows that we're talking about us, and we have lots of champions, and we have enemies. There's an anti-crypto army out there. And they don't want us to exist. They don't think we should have a right to to be here. And we're fighting. We're fighting for that right. And uh, I'm more than happy to do that because I believe in this technology, and uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it, actually. Good. Well, we we all have to keep fighting. You know this fight, and we've seen so much innovation happen over the past years. I mean, you said the Chamber of Digital Commerce was established in 2014. Look at how far we've come now in terms of innovation. So it's people like yourself and and others that are innovating in the space that are helping, you know, push along what we've seen in the past years. So thank you for that. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Perry Ann, can you talk a little bit? And I'm also, I want to go back. You said the financial crisis, you were talking about 2008. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay. That's what I thought. Let's talk a little bit about the Chamber of Digital Commerce, because it's really interesting and it's interesting why you established it. So in the beginning in 2014, what, how exactly were you educating or fighting for Bitcoin or what did it look like then and what does it look like now? Oh my God, it looks so different. You know, I worked as a, a staffer on Capitol Hill uh, and I, I left the Hill to work as a reporter. So I was working as a journalist. And I was covering Bitcoin, actually, during that time. I was one of the first people to, as a journalist, to cover Bitcoin. Wow. And that's really when I started getting just completely, um, you know, just spending all my time thinking about, you know, how incredible this, this technology is going to be and how much of an impact it's going to have. Although not very many people were convinced of that at the time. So, uh we started the chamber in, in 2014 to work on policy. And one of the funny things, I mean, you have to remember uh, the biggest scandal of that era was Silk Road and Mount Gox. Like the biggest you know, scandal of our, the, the era today was SBF and FTX. Uh, obviously, you know, horrific. There's been a lot of scandals, but that was probably the most prominent one. But back in 2013, everybody was talking about Silk Road, multi-billion dollar digital, uh, you know, internet platform, uh, it, where people as a retail platform where people were buying and selling all sorts of goods and services, people are buying a lot of drugs using Bitcoin. That was kind of the first use case or the first thing that at least hit the mainstream papers that was taken down by the feds. Of course, Ross is still in jail. There's like a whole movement of people are still trying to get him pardoned all these years later. So everyone just thought that Bitcoin was the currency of choice for criminals. 
And that's all anybody knew. Or they read about Mt. Gox because that was also another massive uh, like publicity issue, black eye when Mt. Gox collapsed. At the time, it was the largest bankruptcy in Japan's history. This was a company based in Japan. They lost almost $500 million worth of customers' Bitcoins. And the the headlines in the news were Bitcoin was hacked or Bitcoin died. It's like, no, a, a company was hacked. Bitcoin is not dead. A bunch of Bitcoin was you know, hacked and stolen. So you meet with people on the Hill and like, that's literally all they thought. Like, I think some of my old friends like thought I was a drug dealer. They're like, what are oh, you no. doing at these Bitcoin meetups? I'm like, you know, it's not like that, I swear. But like, it was just so, it was like, it was so like sketchy at the time. <laughs> and I could only get like one member of Congress to actually meet with me. I think the first year, like I could meet with staff, but to like actually get in front of a member of Congress, one of the first member of Congress that I ever met was Mick Mulvaney, Congressman Mick Mulvaney uh, from South Carolina, who went on to have a pretty incredible political career. He went to lead the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and then he became President Trump's chief of staff. So he went all the way to the top, and now he serves on our advisory board uh, now that he's not serving in office anymore. Um, and it, it was a leap of faith for him. It was a leap, and he, he co-founded the Blockchain Caucus. He set it up with Jared Polis, who's now the governor of Colorado. We helped him do that. Now there's over 40 members in the blockchain caucus. Today, most people are aware. They know cryptocurrencies exist. They've heard about it. Uh, and the current state has become very political, particularly after uh, Sam Bankman-Fried gave tens of millions of dollars of what was probably stolen customer funds as political donations. It's turned into a huge, like... A lot of politicians don't want anything to do with crypto because a lot of them accepted money from SBF and that ended up being a huge you know, risk for them. Right. Um, so we, uh, we still have many, many members of Congress that are champions for crypto in the United States today, but there's also a number who are incredibly critical and, and skeptical. Um, so it's really important today that the community is actually a part of the conversation and is participating in the political process. So a lot of people probably are not aware that there's a huge movement to ban crypto in Congress, and it's gained a lot of steam just in the past couple of months. It's interesting you say that because, and you know, I've been in the industry since 2017, so I got an after you, but I've always had that thought like Bitcoin and crypto you know, especially Bitcoin, it's not going anywhere. You know, people are like, oh, you know, when prices went down, are you going to sell your Bitcoin? It's going to go to zero. And I've always been a hodler. I've always believed in Bitcoin. I've never for once doubted Bitcoin. It's like you said, sound money. And for me, it's like it gives me financial freedom for the first time in my life, just holding Bitcoin. And it's interesting that you say there's a lot of enemies um, trying to like, you know, shut crypto down or that are against Bitcoin because I, you know, I, I see what I see in the news, but you probably see more. So maybe you want to elaborate a little bit on that. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, well, let's talk about what's actually happening. So Senator Elizabeth Warren, she has self-proclaimed herself as the, the head of the anti-crypto army. 
I'm not sure if there's any official members of the anti-crypto army, but it's this is all over her uh, campaign page. Um, so she likes to promote it for political purposes. So she introduced a bill, S2669, it's called the Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act. This bill, she's represented it. So this is what she's 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 doing. If you ever watch any of the hearings, the, the Senate hearings, uh, the things she's talking about, I see her give statements or speeches. She she loves to political theater is like her her favorite pastime. She's a master at it. Um, she's going around saying that cryptocurrencies have an AML problem. She is perpetuating that narrative. Um, and she will use any tools she has to to try to prove that point. Of course, we know that is absolutely retarded because cryptocurrencies are all logged on a public ledger. And if you were trying to conceal your financial tracks, literally the, the dumbest thing you could possibly do is print them on an unalterable and public ledger. Criminals are not flocking to cryptocurrency for that exact reason. In fact, most a lot of criminal enterprises have even put out public statements saying we are not do not send us like to their donors, do not send us anything in cryptocurrency so we can protect your identity as an anonymous donor. But uh, there have been instances where cryptocurrency was part of something nefarious. It's not that there's no illicit activity has ever touched a blockchain. That's you know, that's not the reality, but less than 1% of all transactions that flow through a cryptocurrency, all cryptocurrency networks, less than 1% is about 0.3%, like three basis points of the entire cryptocurrency economy uh, is in any way, shape or form affiliated with illicit activity. So it's like this much. And the traditional financial system, the United Nations estimates it's anywhere between two to 5% of GDP. So the mass majority of any type of illicit activity is going through the traditional financial system, including banks uh, and cash. Cash is, is still king. Right. Um, so but if there's ever there was, you know, a big story in the Wall Street Journal that Hamas had used cryptocurrency and they did. Um, but it was a small, small fraction of the uh, the the total amount of funds that they had collected. And Hamas had even stopped accepting cryptocurrency donations for that exact reason I mentioned earlier. But she used that article to go tell a bunch of senators that, hey, like crypto has an AML problem. See this article in the Wall Street Journal? That article ended up having to be corrected. Hmm. But it didn't matter because she had already, you know, been through this, you know, political theater and convinced a bunch of people crypto did have an AML problem and that her bill fixes the problem. Interesting. And AML, by the way, is anti-money laundering for listeners that don't know. I just want to point that out. Yeah, Go it's ahead, like illicit finance laws. Um, so the first kind of misleading political theater that we're seeing is this idea that crypto has an illicit finance problem. That's false, but she's perpetuating that. The second, she has this bill. She's like, and my bill fixes the problem. Sign on to my bill, sponsor my bill. And the bill, if you read it, it, I can kind of walk you through what it does, but effectively it, it would ban cryptocurrencies in the United States. It doesn't, that's not what the words on the page say. It doesn't say we're banning crypto. It, it, it defines certain things in the, 
in crypto in the in, in our space uh, and it, it defines them under the bank secrecy act and says they have to comply with um the same type of financial reporting that financial institutions have to abide by like banks mm-hmm. so uh this includes self-hosted wallets that a self-hosted wallet would be regulated like a financial institution it also says Bitcoin miners, any kind of node validator would be subject to financial reporting requirements. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you are mining Bitcoin, you do not have the name, the address, the social security number of the transactions affiliated with the transactions you're verifying because that's not how it works. That's... <laughs> That information does not exist. So because you couldn't collect this information and report it to the government, you could not run a legal Bitcoin mining business in the United States. Same thing with self-posted wallets. Same thing with anybody doing um, acting as a node validator, mm-hmm. which means you're pushing, you, you can't, which means it's a backdoor ban. Right. What's the name of the bill? Like its proper name? I know you mentioned 20. Yeah, it's the Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act. Okay, that's and what then I thought. Okay. number is S, Senate Bill 2669. Cool, okay. We, we just call it the crypto ban bill because that's what it is. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate because over 19 members have signed on to this bill. There's 20 members, or there's 100 members of the Senate there's 19 sponsors. So roughly 20% of the Senate today is on record with wanting to ban cryptocurrencies in the United States. That is the current state of crypto regulation in the United States. Right. That's actually really scary. Um, that doesn't <laughs> give me nightmares tonight, but um, that is really scary. But my question is, you know, we recently saw in the United States the approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF, which you know, I think has been great for the industry. Um, you know, what are your thoughts? I mean, that was approved by the SEC. So does that, you know, how can they ban crypto after that, right? Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I don't know. It, it's, it's a good point. So um, the ETF story is just a, a whole different saga. So you, you also have to appreciate what it had to take to bring a spot Bitcoin ETF to market. And of course, a spot Bitcoin ETF, it's going to lay the foundation for other cryptocurrency spot ETFs to come to market. And we do expect to see an ETH spot Bitcoin or sorry, an ETH spot ETF and many other crypto spot ETFs over time. It took 10 years to get a spot Bitcoin ETF. Uh, We several years ago did a very deep study to try to understand why we issued a report called the crypto conundrum. You can Google it or go to our website if you are interested in reading it. But the SEC, we in our report, we, we make the case that the SEC was discriminating against Bitcoin as an asset class, holding Bitcoin to a different standard than any other commodity ETF, and that it was acting arbitrary and capricious. So one of the issuers, which was Grayscale, of course, uh, sued the SEC for arbitrary and capricious behavior, and they won. 
Um, and because they won, that is ultimately what um, you know, put the SEC in a position where they had to bring and approve spot Bitcoin ETFs to market. But they did it very begrudgingly. So uh, that's why we have a spot Bitcoin ETF today. It was an incredible, an incre you know, an, an incredible path to get there. We did a lot of work behind the scenes. I mean, we took our report to every single member of Congress, all 535 members of Congress. We took our report to like, you need to read this. The SEC is uh, completely out of bounds. They're not within their statutory authority. This is, you know, not just a concern if you care about Bitcoin. This is a concern if you care about. You know, anything going through the, the, the markets. We must hold the SEC accountable. Uh, they should not be picking winners and losers. This is you know bad for innovation. This is bad for technology. It's bad for the US markets. Um, and that put a lot of pressure on the SEC as well, because we had a lot of members of Congress all saying, what is going on over there? Uh, bringing the SEC in to testify, forcing them to you know ask you know how, questions about how they're handling uh, spot Bitcoin ETF. So that political pressure, you know, all was a lot of the stuff happening behind the scenes to get us there. But it was an unbelievable feat. So um, you know, your question was, how could they like just approve a spot Bitcoin ETF? It sounds like a great development, but you have to understand that they they really didn't want to, and they they fought until the, like the bloody end. Like they were kicking and screaming all the way until the very end, until they finally got approved. Right. So what is the Chamber of Digital Commerce doing to kind of prevent this S20, is it 2669 bill from passing? We're doing absolutely everything we possibly can. Uh, so the good thing uh, for us as, as a community is, is one that Elizabeth Warren has really misrepresented the bill. Uh, and I believe she's completely misled the U.S. Congress uh, and the American people on this topic um, because, you know, she's saying crypto has an AML problem. That's just factually incorrect. She's saying this bill fixes the problem. That's factually incorrect. It's a ban. It's not a regulatory fix. It's just wrong. Most members of Congress... Um, you know, the people, you know, Congress gets a bad rap, but, you know, I've spent most, you know, all of my career working in or around Congress and, you know, most members of Congress, I want to believe ultimately are there and they want to have, be involved in good policy making. Um, and they want to do the right thing. And because I, you know, we've met with every single one of the members that sponsored this bill. And a lot of them were very surprised to learn that the bill was actually a ban, like they didn't understand it until someone walked them through it, until we walked them through it. So I, we are trying to meet with every single member in U.S. Congress to explain this to them. It, you know, it takes time. There's 535 offices to meet with. We, you know, we're a team of about 12 people. We're making the rounds, um, you know, as fast as we can to educate them before Elizabeth Warren gets to them. Uh, to say like, hey, if Elizabeth Warren calls you and she wants you to sponsor this bill, like just make sure you fully understand what you're signing up for. We've prevented a lot of members from signing on because of that. Um, so we're doing a lot of the hard work on the ground that just 
education and advocacy, just being that resource to our public policymakers, helping them make sure they fully understand all the laws and potential regulations and what it can mean and ensuring they're making informed decisions. Um, and we need help with that. So, you know, part of the reason why I'm, you know, coming, you know, on your podcast and I've, um, you know, been uh, sharing this information on social media and any other outlets I have is like, we need the community to be a part of this conversation. Like it's, this is more than a job that I can do by myself. We need the whole community calling Congress, calling their members saying, do not sponsor this bill. We do not want to ban crypto in the United States. And if we don't do that, if we don't, if we don't advocate for ourselves as an industry, like we have everything to lose. Um, so I, I really do urge people to participate in the political process. It may seem, I know like a lot of people in our space are kind of like, you know, anti-government or <laughs> want a limited government. And I, I do, I'm a limited government person myself. And that's, that's exactly why I, I do what we do, but we really do need the whole community helping us to, to stop this. When you say, like, I mean, for instance, if I wanted to help, and I do want to help because obviously I've been in this industry for a while and I don't want to see a ban on crypto, how exactly can I do that? I mean, I'm not in D.C. Um, I don't have the access to people like you do in the Chamber of Digital. So how could I as an individual and how could the listeners actually go about that? Well, um, we try to, you know, make this as easy as possible for the community. We are going to host Blockchain Education Day on May 16th. The entire community is invited. We will set up a meeting for you to meet with your representatives in Congress. So you can go tell them directly your okay. position on this bill or any other positions pending before Congress. So um, the whole community is invited to DC. That's Blockchain Education Day. If you're interested in participating, um, we'll set you up. You can do it on your own. You don't need us to do it. You can just do it on your own. You can also look up who your congressional representative is. If you go to congress.gov, just type in your zip code. They'll tell you who represents you in your district. Call their office, send them an email, write them a letter, you know, put your position on record, uh, go to town halls. Uh, if you have any, um, uh, any viewers, so there's 19 members of this bill. And, you know, senators represent an entire state. So many states are represented on this bill. Go to the town halls of these senators. Like if we could get people across the country showing up to the town halls and asking on record, because they always do these Q&As, they take questions from the community. Ask them, like, what the hell are you thinking? Are you like, why are you on this bill? Put them on record, make them respond. If we can get the whole community participating in this stuff and putting these people on record, why are you trying to ban crypto? And then they actually feel the pressure of, well, maybe this wasn't the best idea. One of the things that we have heard from some of the political strategists that we work with is that some of these members who signed on to this bill thought crypto was a throwaway issue, meaning um, they, they're doing this bill as a favor to somebody else. It totally throws crypto under the bus, but they're like, well, there's no crypto industry. Nobody cares about crypto. You know. S that all I know about crypto is SBF and FTX. And that was like a whole fraud and a scam. And the whole industry is a fraud and a scam. So like, yeah, I, I'll totally sign on this bill and like throw crypto under the bus because like nobody cares. We do care. And that's our job as the community to show up and say, no, like that's not, you can't outlaw an entire industry. And by the way, this is the industry that's going to fix most of the major problems 
in our financial system today. Um, so those are all some things that like we, we can all do. And, um, you know, and of course we invite everybody to come to DC and help us help us on the ground as well. Definitely. Well, I, I want to be there, so I'll, I'll make a mental note of that May 16th in DC. So expect to see me there. Great. Um, cause I want to help obviously. And I think coverage is really important. Um, I wanted to ask you now in terms of like, What's the most, you mentioned the Bitcoin mining thing in the bill and how that may be misunderstood. What's another element that you think people misunderstand that they need to actually like understand better before signing onto this? Does that make sense? Well, I think they just need to understand that it's it's effectively a, a backdoor ban. The way that the bill is written, it, it puts regulatory requirements on a technology and uh, that are impossible to implement. Got it. Yeah. It just, you, it's like trying to take blockchain technology and then regulate it like a bank. It makes no sense. Like it's a, it, it's software. It, it's not a company. It's not, <laughs> it's just not going to work. That's what they're trying to do with the bill. So it's just, it's completely unworkable. It's not like, oh, they got, you know, the section wrong and we can like tweak that and then it's going to work. No, it's completely unworkable. It is a backdoor ban. And Elizabeth Warren knows that. She she is, um, you know, I, 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 I think she's smart enough to fully understand what she's doing. She's done this very smart. You know, she's, she's it's theater. It's all about the narrative. And she's convinced people crypto has an AML problem. Her bill fixes it. And then next thing you know, it's like you've outlawed an industry and you tricked all these people into to supporting that and voting for that. Now we're all screwed. We right. can't let that happen. Right. I mean, it's like you said, a lot of it seems like, you know, the whole FTX, SBF drama, and maybe that just kind of changed people's mindsets in the United States, a hundred percent on hating crypto. And they don't realize that the technology behind it is actually revolutionary and that it can revolutionize tra traditional financial systems and a whole lot of industries, supply chain management. It's like, they don't think about the technology. All they think about is FTX. I think that's where a lot of this confusion is coming from. Or they do think about it and they realize all of the legacy systems that it's gonna displace and, or, <laughs> or they want something else like a central bank digital currency and, you know, having, um, cryptocurrency where you can self custody and you don't need, uh, you know, the central bank to, uh, you know, to, to, to operate is just completely incommensurate with that vision. And so I, I do think this is also a part of a much larger political strategy to pave the way for a central bank digital currency in the United States. And, and I think those who are pushing that agenda don't believe uh, there is a space for cryptocurrencies in that future. Is Elizabeth Warren pushing for, I mean, maybe this is a silly question. Maybe I should know the answer. Is she pushing for a central bank digital currency? I think you could argue through this bill that she is. I mean, that's kind of the argument that I'm making right, right now, you know, instead of having to go on record for a CBDC, which is a little like politically untenable today, yeah. you know, just make sure you're clearing everything out that would, you know, kind of, get in the way of, 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 you know, of that future, of that future right. religion. Right. And now it's interesting because I've been seeing, you know, Trump is saying he will not do a CBDC 
if elected. And so I think he's just trying to get a lot of the, I mean, you know, I don't know, we probably shouldn't get too political, but he is <laughs> saying that. And I'm sure a lot of the crypto community is, they're probably like, yay. Yeah, um, he did. He did say that um, recently. Also, uh, that was the stance of Florida Governor DeSantis, who was also running for president, who he didn't really have a cryptocurrency platform. But if you know anyone asked about cryptocurrency, he would say, oh, yeah, well, you know, we, you know, I'm against CBDCs and, you know, we're against it in the state of Florida. That was kind of his answer. And that, that's kind of what Trump's answer seems to be right now, too. Um, but, you know, cryptocurrencies and CBDCs are also two completely different things. And so I think we also need to be careful that just because someone is pro CBDC, it doesn't necessarily mean they're anti crypto. Uh, I mean, maybe they are, but I just don't think they're correlated because they're two completely different things. Um, many people who are anti CBDCs are pro crypto, but that that's not necessarily a rule. It certainly doesn't have to be a rule. Um, what's more important is that we understand politicians' actual position on cryptocurrency. You know, if you care about CBDCs and it's important to you that, you know, uh, you know members of Congress or the president of the United States does not support that and you're not going to vote for somebody, you know, you want to get them on record. But for me, what I'm most interested in is policymakers' stance on cryptocurrencies. Uh, so I think with, you know, DeSantis and... Um, uh, Vivek and uh, others dropping out of the Republican primary is absolutely critical that we get Trump's current stance on crypto uh, because the Trump administration's um, track record <laughs> was not very pro crypto at all. Right. Exactly. He was not pro crypto. Um, there were That's a number. There were a number of things that the Trump administration did that were anti crypto. The Trump administration tried to regulate self-hosted wallets, which is exactly what the Elizabeth Warren bill does as well. They tried to bring a similar set of regulations that would essentially make it impossible or illegal to self-custody in the United States. That was the Trump administration. That was just the that was just one example. Trump himself put out a tweet. Uh, saying he was skeptical, saying he didn't like Bitcoin. He was not a fan of cryptocurrencies. And uh, Trump's chairman of the SEC, Jay Clayton, did not do us any favors at all. That is the person who filed the lawsuit against Ripple. He blocked spot Bitcoin ETFs just as much as Gary Gensler did. And he did absolutely nothing to help achieve the regulatory clarity that we need as an industry in order to operate cryptocurrency businesses in the United States, something we've been asking for for many, many years. And we absolutely went to Jay Clayton's office many, many, many times asking him, please issue uh, you know, rules, regulations, clarify the SEC's jurisdiction over the cryptocurrency space completely uninterested. So it's, uh, it is really important that Trump gives you know, an updated um, he shares with us his um, updated position on cryptocurrencies because people are, 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 are wondering, and I, I certainly am. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, yeah, we can elaborate on that, but I'm not going to. Um, I want to get your take on why cryptocurrency in the United States and why innovation here is so important because, you know, and I'm sure people have asked you this because they've asked me, well, why don't you just move to Europe or, you know, somewhere where it's a little bit more friendly um, for cryptocurrency and blockchain, but, you know, I continue to stay in the United States. 
What are your, what's your take on that? Why is it so important for innovation to happen here? Well, this is the land of the free. And I think particularly in our generation, I mean, the United States is the most prosperous nation in the world. And we have been for a couple of generations now. We are so spoiled. We don't even, we don't even fully understand how good we have it. As Americans, just, you know, having food, water, water, and shelter, and just stability every single day. You know, that's certainly not the case, especially if you look around the world and all, all the wars that are being fought right now, we're incredibly lucky. And we're at the very top of the pyramid. We have everything to lose. The, one of the most uh, you know, important things for, that's happened to the United States in recent history was the advent and commercialization of the internet. Uh, the, the United States government invented the, the ARPANET, the internet, came out of DARPA. Uh, and then the, uh, you know, the White House helped commercialize it. They put out an executive order incentivizing the private sector to develop uh, and commercialize the internet technology. And this took several decades. I mean, it took years, you know, for these dot-com internet businesses uh, to be built. The biggest companies in the world today are companies that came out of that. You know, your Facebook or Meta, Amazon, Google, Yahoo, you know, we can keep going down the list. These are, you know, American businesses that have benefited the United States of America. They've benefited the people here. They've provided jobs and that innovation, that development is here. Imagine if the United States had taken a completely different tone. I've taken the tone of taking on cryptocurrencies and just trying to push it out. You know, we don't see value in this technology and we don't want it here. So what if Facebook and Amazon and you know, Meta, Google, what if these were all businesses that were built in Russia? Where would that, where would, where would the United States be today? Right. If that's how we treated the internet and the, you know, web, there's a reason it's called web three. It's like the next coming of, you know, the, it's, it's like the next internet. This, this technology is going to be just as impactful as the internet was. Why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we want Americans to benefit from that? Definitely. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Um, Perry Ann, we're, we're running out of time and I could talk to you for much longer than the time that we have, but I want to know what's next from the chamber of digital commerce. Like what can we expect next? Can we expect reports? You know, I know you mentioned the conference in DC, but what, what else is upcoming? Yeah. Our, our conference, the DC blockchain summit is May 15th. So, um, we'd love for the whole community to come and, you know, support, uh, support the industry in Washington because it's, you know, if we don't advocate for ourselves, nobody else is. Uh, and then the day after the conference, May 16th, that's, that's blockchain education day. So come to the conference, we'll take you to the Hill. Um, and, you know, we'd love for, for you uh, and everybody else to join us in Washington. Um, another thing we're working on is on NFTs. Uh, so we've really gotten very deep in NFTs in the past couple of years. Uh, NFTs are, we're seeing incredible innovations from the biggest brands in the world, uh, building really interesting project projects that are going to completely change the digital experience for, for customers, for users, and for people. Um, and, you know, we talk about regulations, of course, that's what a big part of my focus is and what we're doing at the chamber, uh, but we need regulatory clarity for NFTs as well. And 
Uh, we're working, we're leading a, a working group at the, the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, to, to develop best practices for NFTs. So we're actually working in partnership uh, you know, with the regulators to, to help create kind of the, the, the initial set of best practices that will really set the stage for future regulations uh, for, for NFTs. And we're working with some big brands and you know, many amazing uh, innovators as well. Uh, so NFTs is something we're super interested in. And um, you know, we, we, we're looking to collaborate with the whole community on this. Um, so if you're interested, you can um, ping me or DM me or, or go to our website and, um, uh, you know, we're looking for more contributors to, to help us develop this product. That's interesting that you mentioned NFTs. And now that we're, I keep seeing at least headlines in the media, NFTs aren't dead and they're making a comeback. I think for a while, like NFTs were kind of out of the spotlight, uh, non-fungible tokens for those that don't know what an NFT is. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that we're talking about regulations around NFTs now. I, I mean, honestly, I, I really hadn't thought about it. Yeah, I think you're 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 right. Um, there there was a big like NFT like boom and buzz a couple years ago. There were a lot of like rug pulls and NFTs. We were seeing a lot of like weird stuff, a lot of scams, which is you know is normal for any new uh, technology. But uh, you know, beyond, you know, underneath the surface, there there's uh, many industries that are innovating with this concept of a non fungible token and trying to use it to enhance different business services. Uh, there's companies that are, are, are currently looking to use NFTs or, or issue a token, a unique token to track products to, to, for supply chain purposes. You have a digital identifier of, of all of your products. Uh, there's um, companies that are creating whole, you know, entirely new digital experiences for their customers. You know, Pepsi has, they don't call it an NFT, but they have an entire um, division that's, that, that they're essentially issuing NFTs to bring more, you know, engagement through their customer base. Um, uh, but it's not kind of what I think most people think of as an NFT is like, a, 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 you know, a, a PDF on chain or a piece of art on chain. Uh, it, it's allowing for, for new engagement, you know, with, with, with different types of tools and audiences. Um, we saw uh, Tiffany's uh, issued NFTs. They built these like really beautiful necklaces uh, of CryptoPunk. So anyone who's a CryptoPunk can get a, a Tiffany's CryptoPunk necklace. Um, and you had to have the NFT to, to get it. So, I mean, there is some really fun, fun and interesting things above, I think, the initial use case of like putting art on a blockchain, which of course we still believe in that as well. Um, but now that big companies and big brands and, you know, lots of money has gone into developing the technology. We're starting to see initial products come to market and there's some really exciting stuff out there. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to keep that in mind. Cool. So perry is there anything you want to add before we end the interview today that I might not have asked you about? I think that's everything. Um, I was going to tell you, I'm going to, I'll be in Austin for South by Southwest. So uh, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you again soon. Yeah, definitely. And I, so it's funny because I'm actually back in San Francisco now, but I do plan to be in Austin for South by Southwest. So I hope to meet up with you and a bunch of other of the, you know, the Web3 community there because a lot of people are going to be there then. Awesome. Look forward to it.
Cool. Carrie Ann, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Do you use Twitter? I mean, I know you use Twitter, but how can they reach you? Yeah, I'm active on Twitter. My handle's at DC. Uh, or you can go to the the Chambers account. It's just at Digital Chamber or go to our website at digitalchamber.com. Cool. And that's also how they can probably get involved with this initiative to fight this yes. 2669. Yes. Please, please join us. We need help. <laughs> cool. Okay, Perry. And well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for finally coming on the podcast. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Rachel. Great to be here. Thanks. Special thanks to Aaron Bender for producing Web3 Deep Dive podcast. I'd also like to thank the sponsors behind Web3 Deep Dive. Finally, thanks to the listeners for tuning in. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and share. I'll see you guys next time.